This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up later this week, the start of a big film festival in St. Louis. We'll answer some of your legal questions when it comes to family law. And many Missouri first responders suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of their job. Elisa Nelson has State Senator Bill Eigel with us. And Senator Eigel, you want to create a unique test program to help veterans, first responders, and law enforcement fight PTSD. This would this act would establish the electroencephalogram combined transcranial magnetic stimulation fund. Now, that's a mouthful. But <laughs> yes. here's here's let me give you the layman's term. So I'm a veteran myself. I served in the Air Force for eight years, and as you know, many of our first responders, veterans, police officers, firefighters are suffering from PTSD effects related to the performance of their duties. So we are always on the lookout for new medical treatments that can help these veterans, these first responders, uh, deal with and heal from the trauma that they've experienced uh, through PTSD and other effects. We believe that this particular procedure, ETMS for short, because I'm not going to try to say that mouthful again, is one such procedure that uses electrical pulses that are sent to the brain. It's painless. It's easy, uh, and it has shown when it's been used in other states to produce very positive results in patients that are suffering from these effects. So what we're doing in this bill is setting up a fund to do a pilot program in the state of Missouri where this procedure can be used to treat uh, individuals that are suffering from these effects uh, right here in the Show Me State. So uh, we're going to see, as part of this bill, we're going to try to create some metrics uh, that will determine whether or not these treatments are successful, uh, because we are looking at potentially putting taxpayer dollars behind this. But I'm always on the lookout, uh, as you know, just from my history, I'm always on the lookout for different things that may be able to provide brand new treatments. We believe this is on the cutting edge. So for PTSD, anything else as far as treatment goes? Uh, that's the big one. Uh, okay. That's the big one. Now, there are, there may be other forms of uh, uh, trauma, uh, emotional, mental trauma that can, be a, that can be treated, but we're focusing on PTSD effects uh, directly related to the performance of those duties. I think substance misuse is also in there, if, okay. I'm, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Um, Maybe depression or some other stuff. Well, and, and you know, I apologize. Those are both things that I would consider offshoots of PTSD in the first place. So uh, the uh, those may be secondary effects that can also be, but primarily the stress and trauma of those duties that manifest itself in PTSD-type symptoms, of which depression is one, absolutely, I think, is what we're trying to address. Okay, so right now is it banned in Missouri? Just want to clarify. Uh, it's not banned in Missouri. However, it, it, there, there's not a space for it to be approved through as an approved uh, effective means of medical treatment for taxpayer dollars to be spent. So what, that's why we're creating the pilot program in the first place is to you know test the procedure, uh, take a look at what the results could be for people people actually in our state. Uh, they've they've tried this in a other couple other states that have gotten good uh, results, and I met with the. the the team that is is going to be kind of leading this and so we're going to have a hearing on this build and we're going to take a look at uh, maybe if this is right for our state now would there be so many people that could be helped through this pilot program there would uh, there would be limits uh, the limit would kind of be determined by how much money we can appropriate into the fund so the 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 creation of the fund is separate from the appropriation of dollars. You have to actually have a two-step process. You create the fund, you put money in the fund, and so this is the first step in that process. How big the appropriation is, uh, which we don't know yet until we get the budget down here in the, in the Senate in the next couple of weeks, we won't know exactly how many people might be able to be treated. 
What are some of the opposing arguments that you have heard on this bill whatsoever? Honestly, I haven't, I haven't heard opposing arguments on this bill. So I think that's why uh, we want to see the, the public hearing uh, to see if there is any opposition to a procedure like this, if there's any concerns out there. But all I've heard so far is positive uh, feedback. That's why we filed the bill. And uh, we'll find out today if there's uh, any detractors in the public hearing. So how many like uh, sessions, if you will, would a person to do? Does it just vary upon the condition and how yes. severe it is or yes. what? Uh, okay. It does vary based on the person and the condition. Uh, and, and again, a lot of that will depend on uh, the funding that we get. So uh, I, I'm not trying to leave it as kind of an open answer there, but there, there are questions that we have to answer and, and it will vary from person to person. Okay. Uh, State Senator Bill Eigel of Weldon Spring has a bill that um, would create a pilot program to help veterans, first responders, law enforcement uh, deal with things like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it would create a fund to help uh, launch this pilot program. Uh, now, it's pretty late in session right now for us to be having hearings on Senate bills. So logistically speaking, uh, if we have continued to get positive feedback, I'll probably look for an opportunity to add this to another bill that's maybe already further along in the system. And then that will open the door to have a discussion when the appropriations bills come through the Senate about how much and how soon we can get funding put in place for such a pilot program. Uh, these will be relatively small amounts, maybe a million dollars, a couple million dollars at the most, uh, because the scope of the pilot program is to introduce metrics to the General Assembly so that we can make this a more broad-based solution available to a lot more folks. Um, okay, that's that's good to know. Um, and I know you, first of all, you kind of, you started um, by just broadly talking about this a bit, but about the benefits. Mm -hmm. um, can you expand upon that? A little bit more as far as the benefits go. Sure. So the th the therapy is designed to uh, produce a you know a response inside the chemical reactions of our brain to uh, kind of balance your emotional state in a way that you could start to heal from some of the traumatic experiences you've recovered from. So we're hoping to see an improvement in depression rates uh, that are the you know PTSD is a is a as a specific area, depression, suicide rates are specific symptoms of the overall problem. So we're hoping to see improvements in those metrics for the folks that go through the pilot program. Uh, and any metric uh, for something, you know, an improvement in depression, suicide, these are things that we've been trying to address with a variety of different mechanisms for years, uh, not just in Missouri, but around the country. So if we can see an improvement uh, with a relatively modest investment in a new procedure like that, that's a great thing. All right, State Senator Bill Eigel. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. If you talk and they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try.
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alicine can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We return to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. We're going to share a feature. It's the Missouri Bars program, Is It Legal To? And we'll feature some different topics over the next couple of months because navigating the legal system, a daunting task. Missouri Nets' Bob Pretty and Farrah Fight from the Missouri Bar spoke to Diane Howard about family law. Fair, it seems to me that anybody who practices family law has to know an awful lot of stuff, and I hope I don't make lawyers with more specific practices upset if I say that, but family law has to cover a huge number of issues. And a lot of family law is about fortunate as well as unfortunate family relationships. It can range from divorce, annulment, property settlements, alimony, child custody and visitation, and more. We're going to talk about all these issues and more with Diane Howard, who practices family law, personnel and employment law, and education law with the Limbaugh Law Firm in Cape Girardeau. She was chairman of the Missouri Bar's family law section a few years ago and also started our family law conference that's now been going strong for 20 plus years. So welcome to our program, Diane. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start our discussion with the definition of the word family because we seem to have so many different kinds of families today. The idea of family law is really a broad area of the law. 
many people who practice family law practice in different areas. So, so it, it's hard to say what a family lawyer is. Some people do divorce law who are family lawyers. Other people, a very common area of the law is what we call paternity cases, which that can be a whole presentation itself and is confusing to the public. And uh, paternity cases, they'll, most people say, well, does that mean paternity testing? Which it doesn't mean paternity testing, but those are cases involving child custody and child support when parties aren't married. Uh, those are like divorce cases, except we're not dealing with property, we're only dealing with the child, but when parties aren't married. Also, juvenile cases fall under family law. Uh, adoption cases fall under family law. And also sometimes with many par many practitioners, they deal with guardianships, cases like those they consider under family law because those deal with issues involving families. So family law can be a very broad term for lots of areas of practice. Would you say that family law and all of its different aspects is probably the most likely touch point that a citizen would ever have with the courts or the court system? Domestic practice, family law or, or domestic practice or criminal law. The bulk of cases, legal cases in our court system are either domestic cases, as we call them domestic cases, or our criminal cases. Those are the most common. Are you seeing very much pre-marriage questions raised these days? No. No, very few people are involved in anti-nuptial or anti, not being A-N-T-I, not A-N-T-I as against, <laughs> but anti-A-N-T-E, meaning pre. Very few people see an attorney before they get married and, and do any kind of prenuptial planning. We did do an episode earlier this year on love and marriage, and both of those lawyers recommended highly that you have a prenup. Yes. <laughs> they said most people don't take the time to do it, but it can uh, prevent a lot of hardship down yes. the road. Well, one of the reasons that, that I would recommend, and most people think that you have to have a lot of money or something like that, but one of my recommendations to people in talking with an attorney before they're married is that it encourages couples to talk about issues that they often don't talk about before they're married. And I find when I talk with about issues associated with getting married. The, the parties are, are very surprised at the responses that they get from each other and say, well, we haven't really thought about that or we haven't really talked about that. And um, I suggest to them that now is a very good time to be talking about these extremely important issues about how their plan to handle their finances or, uh, you know, are you going to maintain two bank accounts or one bank account or how are you going to handle your household finances uh, if they have children from previous marriages or what are they going to do about finances involving them and, you know, they look at each other with blank stares and, you know, it's not my life, but I just suggest to them that these are maybe discussions that need to be had now. Uh, because those are some of the kinds of issues that arise and they find troublesome when they've already walked down the aisle and find that they're not on the same page. If you have failed to plan though, and you've been in a relationship, a marriage, and things 
have gone south and it's not working out. Do you find folks or couples that come to you asking you to help solve their marital problems or their marital relationship? Are you a, are you a counselor in no. more than one way? No, I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I've, if I've said it once, I've said it probably 10,000 times that I took three hours of gen psych in 1974. And even though I got an A, my three hours of gen psych does not qualify me <laughs> to give any type of counseling or advice. I'm an attorney. I took three years of legal, formal legal training, which resulted in me getting a doctorate in law. So so that's what I do for a living. I have a doctorate in law and three hours of gin psych. <laughs> so I am not a counselor. And uh, when my clients are distraught, which I, I would not have a couple coming to me, I would have a client coming to me. And uh, if I have a client who needs to talk to someone, um, there are lots of people to whom they can speak, friends and families and counselors and, you know, pastors and best friends and the person in the next carol at work or whoever, but not me. Um, they are hiring me as a professional to do what I am trained to do, and that is give them legal advice. For couples that don't get married, but just establish long-term relationships and mm -hmm. buy property together and have a family together. What complications are there for them? Well, lots of them. Uh, there are two types of legal actions available to those parties when things go awry, and it is more complicated when there is not a marriage involved. There are legal actions in association with their property, both personal property and real property. So if parties purchase property together, jointly hold property, then they may have to go through a civil action for the splitting up of that property. Just like if you have siblings that own property together and they no longer can hold that property together in a civil fashion, There's there are causes of action to partition their ownership so that one of them owns half and the other owns half no longer jointly own it together. Well, that's what would have to be done by domestic partners who own property together and the relationship has gone awry. So that's what they would have to do as far as their property that they own together, whether it's personal property, you know, bank accounts or whatever, or real property. And then if, in addition to that, if there's a child or children born of that relationship, then that's the paternity case, which affectionately referred to as a paternity case. Actually, Missouri is a parentage action, but nobody's ever heard of that word, so we call it a paternity <laughs> case. And a case under the Uniform Parentage Act here in Missouri will make a determination regarding what should be done as far as custody and support of that child. Yeah. Who is responsible for financially supporting the children? Both parents. The system that we have here in Missouri, whether it's a divorce case or a parentage case, involves calculation of support. We have a Rule 8801, the Supreme Court rule, and under Rule 8801, we have most many people have heard of Form 14, which is our form that we use. 
and that calculates the relative support obligation of both of the parties. So we mimic the responsibilities of the parties if it was an intact household. That the idea is if it's an intact household, both of the parties would be contributing to the support of the child or children. So if it's not an intact household, that's the same thing. Both of the parents are contributing to the support of the child or children. If one of the reasons for the divorce is that the child has been abused by one of the parents, how do you handle that? Well, that would typically be resolved if the child's been abused. There's a requirement under the law that a guardian ad litem be appointed, which is a, an attorney who is representing the interest of the child. And if there's been abuse, the expectation would be that there'd be very limited or probably supervised visitation in order to protect the child from that abuse is how that would be handled. It would be the typical outcome that you would expect from a situation like that. Diane Howard discussing family law on Show Me Today. To hear more on this and other topics from the Missouri Bar, go to missourilawyershelp.org slash is it legal to and spell that T-O. Again, missourilawyershelp.org slash is it legal to. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. 
Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Dr. Ji Hung at Missouri S&T is developing fiber optic sensors that can be used in harsh and extreme environments. Anthony Morbeth has more on this. Dr. Hung, nice to have you. There's actually a few projects you're working with. Well, it's actually uh, $14 million from multiple uh, federal governments. So we, we do have a few projects working with, uh, founded by Army Research Office. Uh, regarding developing fiber optic sensors for chemical threat detection. And then we do have some several other multi-million dollar projects from, founded by uh, Department of Energy uh, focusing on developing a fiber optic sensor for you know, high temperature, harsh environment. Which I think is really interesting because harsh and extreme conditions and high temperature environments can, can have a lot of different uh, applications. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, the, you said uh, high temperatures? Yeah. So when I say high temperature, it means you know, several different temperature range. For example, if we are talking about, uh, talking about steel, uh, steel making temperature, so it's roughly around 1600 degrees C. So you can melt, you can, you know, you can melt, uh, stainless steel, for example. So, you know, you know, think about steel making industry. They do use a, a whole bunch of sensors to gather some data so that it can better, con you know, do their strategic, con you know, control to make better products, for example. And uh, for those harsh environments, uh, we are actually developing a, another different type of sensor using optical fiber rather than the traditional uh, type of sensor. Optic fiber is typically, you can imagine optic fiber as a, for example, like a, like a human hair or like a fishing line. It's pretty small size and uh, it's made of silica glass. So you can consider optic fiber as a pure insulating material, silica glass material. And it's pretty robust. You can you can stretch it just like a fishing line, and we design different type of sensors in, on that fishing line. And we can do, for example, distributed temperature measurement along the fishing line, uh, or string measurement along the fishing line, so that you can basically wrap wrap the fiber on some you know, for example, uh, casting mold, and to map out the the temperature distribution of the casting mold, so that it, it can guide the uh, steel making uh, industry. 
to you know get gather interesting information so that they can do better controls. And so that's one of the advantages uh, because it's made of silica glass or some other crystal material. It has ultra high melting point, and so it can withstand high temperature. The other advantage, if you think about optic fiber, is that uh, because of the insulating material, you don't have to worry about, uh, for example, high voltage environment. So it is actually completely immune to electromagnetic interference. And so you can embed the fiber, for example, in a uh, induction induction coil like uh, furnace so that in, the, in in those type of furnace you you don't you don't want to put a ther traditional thermocouple in the furnace to measure temperature because you don't want to generate a, a, a large heat or or generate some signal that will be influenced by the induction coil and so in this case we can embed optic fiber in in the induction furnace and to map out the temperature distribution of the furnace I think it's interesting. You mentioned uh, one of the uses, it's immune to electrical interference. And what I immediately think of is a couple of things. Number one, you hear in the news all the time the, the ever-looming threat of a potential EMP attack on electromagnetic pulse or also uh, interference through sunspots and how that could potentially affect signals from radio, signals for television, and obviously the satellite signals for uh, our, our cell phones as well as the internet and things like that. I think you had a very good point. So because of the, this uh, particular advantage, you know, immune to EMI, and uh, you can imagine you can embed the fiber in, in, a, in, in a battery, for example, inside a battery to map out the battery distribution, the temperature distribution. You don't want to put a, a metal-based thermocouple into the battery to get the temperature so that you can, you can you know, some sort of predict if you, your battery is, is still useful. And then I know some scientists, they are developing optic fiber sensors to, to, measure, to measure temperature, strain, or, or even electric field because it is not immune. It is immune to electromagnetic interference. They are in, actually deploying optic fiber on the moon, on the moon surface. Imagine a moon surface, a lunar surface. You do have sometimes a high voltage environment. Sometimes you have a high, even electric plasma. So for those environments, you don't want to use traditional sensor to, to even measure temperature. So in this case, optic fiber sensor is, is actually a good candidate for those type of application. I'm glad you brought that up specifically because that was going to transition into my next question. Because when I was originally reading this article, the immediate thing that crossed my mind was space exploration. And the possibility of, uh, for example, using that to monitor like the surface of the moon and even using that to monitor the planet Mars, because I know that uh, NASA and the federal government have mentioned over the past couple of years, they eventually want to send humans to Mars and and the possibility that that at one time used to have water and things like that. And what I think of is this uh, fiber optic technology could allow scientists such as yourself to be able to look at that and be like, hey, uh, previously not being able to figure out this uh, type of information. Yeah, this is actually a very good point. You remind me of another technology based on optic fiber. It's called optic fiber Raman spectroscopy. So basically it's a it's a Raman spectroscopy based on a, a optic fiber probe that can uh, fingerprint water molecules. So imagine you are on Mars, you, you just want to know if there's water. You don't want to grab the data, grab the, the sample, and then put it in, in a lab 
uh, use a traditional benchtop system to analyze if if it is water or not. So basically, people have already developed a, a so-called a remote fiber optic Raman probe. So basically, you just put the probe inside the water, inside the sample, and then you get the backscattered Raman signal. And then you can analyze the backscattered Raman signal um, regarding the Raman scattering spectrum. You can actually fingerprint or correlate the spectrum with uh, water molecules. It's actually an interesting technology that can be used for, for space application. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Ji Hung. He's an endowed associate professor of electrical engineering at Missouri S&T. He helped secure over $14 million to develop fiber optic sensors for harsh and extreme conditions. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Why is fiber optics so important, especially with the ever-changing technology we're currently in? Uh, one of the advantages is so-called distributed sensing. Imagine, so optic fiber communication, you, you probably heard about it. The reason why we have internet is actually because of optic fiber communication. What we did right now is to use optic fiber for a sensing application. So imagine you have a like a one kilometer long fiber. So we can actually develop, for example, 10,000 temperature sensors along that one kilometer long fiber to so that you can get temperature measurement, you know, along the one kilometer long fiber like 10,000 temperature measurement points. So in this case, you can do a really especially distributed temperature measurement. And imagine you have a, for example, 10 miles of fiber, and we can develop, for example, 10,000 strain gauges along the optic fiber. Then you attach the fiber to a to a bridge. And then you can do strain distribution measurement for that bridge. And then, you know, this is actually pretty critically important, pretty important to, uh, for structural health monitoring. So you don't want to really embed 10,000 traditional string gauges and then use whatever, like 20,000 wires to connect it to the uh, interrogator. So one piece of fiber to do a distributed string measurement for structural health monitoring, that could be an interesting technology. So as we bring this conversation to a close, I could sit and talk with you all day about this subject because I think that this is absolutely fascinating. But unfortunately, time prevents us from doing that. So I'll, I'll bring this question up for a conclusion. And that is, uh, what does the future hold for this type of fiber optic sensor technology? Okay, I... I think uh, even though we talk about a lot of advantages, there are some drawbacks. For example, the uh, the interrogation circuit board or the, the interrogator, we call it interrogator, is still uh, pretty high cost, a little bit expensive. The reason is that you, you at the minimum, you need some light source. And most of the time you need a laser light source. A laser may cost like 500 bucks or $1,000. So I think if we can drastically reduce the cost of a laser or even a photo detector, that in the in the next few decades, that will you know we can the fiber optic sensor will definitely can dominate the uh, the market. Another interesting thing we didn't really talk about it is actually we use optic fiber to measure a chemical gas. So basically, we use a, a special material that can be a gas absorber. We put that uh, gas absorber at the end of the fiber. Imagine at the end of a uh, human hair, for example, and then it can actually measure chemical threats, for example, chemical gases. Now, there's another interesting application. Imagine a, a, this is called a dog's nose. A dog's nose consists of a whole bunch of uh, sensors in, in a dog's nose. And nowadays, a sniffing dog can really can detect even human cancer. 
and uh, or a Parkinson's disease. Imagine you 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 can assemble, for example, a thousand optic fibers with different type of chemical uh, gas sensors at the fiber tip. The total size is just like a dog's nose, and then you you do a large scale clinical trial. Maybe we can develop a so called electronic nose similar to a dog's nose that can diagnose human diseases. What immediately crosses my mind when you mentioned that was uh, potentially um, for those serving in the military, like on the battlefield, and and dangerous gases and, and things like that that they've had to experience and or deal with over the years, and even possibly uh, detect uh, like minefields and things like that. Yes. Yes, you can use a special material. Right now, we are using a material called metal organic frameworks. It's a, it's a crystallized material with, with a whole bunch of pores, nano pores. So uh, they are, you know, it, moth, it's called moth. Moth is um, currently commercially available. You can buy thousands of different types of moth. There are some special moth that can be designed to absorb like uh, explosive uh, smells or gas molecules. So once we attach the moth, moth crystal on the fiber end face to form an optic fiber sensor, as long as the, the, as the moth crystal absorb chem, uh, chemical threat, and then we can tell you do have uh, like explosive molecules around the optic fiber. So it's a, it can be used for military applications. Dr. G. Hung, an endowed associate professor of electrical engineering at Missouri S&T, here on Show Me Today. And this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided it. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our, our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm your host, Bill Pollack. Glad you're with us. Q-Fest is coming to St. Louis, May 4th through the 10th. 26 films that will excite, entertain, and enlighten. Cameron Connor is with Chris Clark with Cinema St. Louis. Chris, welcome. How long has this been taking place? This is our uh, 16th year, um, and we think it's an important addition to our annual roster uh, of festivals, supporting a very specific uh community, but uh, it's been a fun event all this time. Uh, it's been our first first Cinema St. Louis official event we're going to be producing in our new forever home, uh, the High Point Theater, which we took possession of on January 15th of this year. Uh, we've been here in the past for various events, but it's the first time we're doing our own event in our own theater, so it's very exciting. Uh, there are, I think, 26 films from seven countries sprawled out over uh, seven days, uh, a variety of uh, documentaries and, and narrative features, um, some from foreign countries, and about uh, nearly 20 short subjects, again, from filmmakers from all over the world, uh, showing just a wide variety of uh, attitudes and cultures and situations. Uh, the main point is that if they're all uh, celebrating and empowering uh, queer people uh, through cinema, the art of the cinema. What a great collective for all of the film festivals that you offer throughout the year. And I love that you mentioned that it's it's an essential part of it all, because I think that whether it's for LGBTQ members themselves or maybe for other others that would just like to partake and watch the films, I think that there's also an aspect of enlightenment to it. it, it that's one of the things that I think best describes it or that comes to mind. Is that a good way to picture it? Absolutely. Um, in anything that we do, the International Festival, where we show films from all over the world, um, or uh, I'll, I'll give an example that's not ours. Um, uh, there's a local Italian film festival and a local Jewish film festival. Well, of course, the, the Italian and Jewish film festival are built to honor those um, ethnicities, but they're not just for, you don't have to be Italian to walk through the door. They wouldn't you know, sell very many tickets. Um, it's for everybody just to um, take glimpses into other cultures and, and other worlds and other parts of the country or other parts of the world. You know, the underlying thing is that everyone's human and everyone has, you know, bad days and bad relationship problems or good days or, you know, homework assignments they can't do or a, a sporting event. Or, you know, the same things happen. They make dinner and go to bed. But the, things happen differently in other cultures, and some cultures are less free uh, about things like sexuality. Uh, then as our opening night film, uh, Blue Kaftan, is from Morocco. Um, well, they have, in the Middle East, they have very different views towards uh, homosexuality and, and relationships and, you know, what is allowable and permissible um, in society and even, and even in private. Uh, so taking a glimpse 
at those other cultures uh, makes us you know learn more about other people and appreciate um, our own world a little differently. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here talking about the 16th annual Q Fest that's going to be going on May 4th through 10th in St. Louis. We're here with the artistic director of Cinema St. Louis, the organization that is putting on the Q Fest. And the thing that I want to mention, just because I was unaware of it, Chris, is High Point Theater is official. I think you said as of January 15th, it's your official home. So from here on out, you'll be hosting all of the festivals there. That that that's a. <laughs> I had no idea that you made the move. Yeah, it's it was a big swing. Um, the theater was not for sale uh, last two Januarys ago, but a, a random meeting with the owners and a and an offhand quip as I was putting on my coat. Um, hey, if you ever decide to sell the theater, please let us know. We'd be interested. Well, I did not know that the day before the family who owned it had decided to sell the theater, and they thought I was a psychic. Uh, a, a lot of money and man hours in between, and a, a year later, um, we took possession, perched up on the hilltop in High Forest Park. Once again, you're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. We're talking about the 16th annual Q Fest that's going to be going on May 4th through 10th in St. Louis. It seems like they take so much collaboration, whether it's the film selection process, or I guess now you have your new home venue figured out, so you always have that for the <laughs> for, for for the future going forward, but. There are so many different things and working with different partners and selection processes. Can you go into that process a little bit on what it all takes to put together a festival like this? I don't know if you remember the the big quote from the end of the Miracle on 34th Street uh, movie about the big uh, parade. You know, they, they say at the end, they pop the balloons, and then the next day they start planning on the next year. That's sort of what it's like. Um, we have s- several permanent film festival events throughout the year. We're never only working on just one. Uh, even though it's the smallest event with only 12, screen, 12 screening slots, I've been working on this since December. Uh, the International Festival, we work on all year long. Um, other events, you know, four to six months. <coughs> and not hard every day, all day, but there's a, we, we work on various events we're doing throughout the year a little bit every day. And it just takes a lot of time and planning to think through, to watch the films, um, decide what is the best combination of things, what days should something go on, is a guest going to come, um, how much does it cost, you know, does anyone care, um, you know, what is the best films to show. Um, There's some films that I don't pick because they portray a negative viewpoint, and I'd like to stay as empowering and positive as possible. So it just takes a village of, you know, volunteers and creating a program and every, there's a million things to do with any of that. Like planning a wedding, uh, it, you know, takes forever. How about for, for tickets? How long, where do you have to go? Is there a deadline you have to sign up by? Are there certain other things that you're offering? What about that? <laughs> tickets, uh, uh, audiences, you do not have to be anybody other than yourself. You do not have to be a member of the LGBT community like we discussed. All you have to do is to enjoy world cinema and have money for a ticket. That's, that's, that's the only rules. That's, that's pretty, pretty low bar. Uh, <clears throat> there are multiple passes. Uh, there's five and ten film passes. You can buy a pass that allows you uh, a ticket to every show, or you can just come one by one uh, to various things. Uh, tickets are $15. Uh, they're $12 for Cinema St. Louis members and students, and uh, 
something we've been trying to do uh, the last couple of years, and we're able to do again this year, we, we try to find a handful of shows that we can um, offer to the community for free. And in this case, we're offering two short subject programs, um, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, uh, the, the 6th and the 7th. Uh, and these are short subjects that we get from our open submission process, where filmmakers from all over the world can submit their films for consideration. So all the films, all of the you know, features and shorts and everything are, are a mixture of things from studios and distributors and things from open submissions. The shorts were all submitted uh, through this, and uh, they all didn't make it. Uh, I, I watched them all and picked what I think is a nice set together. And lo and behold, uh, one of our shorts uh, was filmed in Columbia, Missouri. Perhaps you've heard of it, that city in the middle of Missouri. Uh, this film is called The Treadmill Switcher. Wow. What an exciting thing. And this dovetails into my next question, and that deals with contributions, because it's not just for the Q-Fest that's going to be going on. This is for a lot of your festivals where you offer a way to contribute in order to offer free screenings or to help out with any sort of the film collaboration, I guess, is probably one of the best words to describe it. So can people contribute as well? Sure, we have, you know, ways that people can uh, certainly, in addition to buying tickets, you know, we're a nonprofit, even though we're... Uh, you know, own a physical space. We're still a nonprofit. Um, ticket sales never pay for all of an event. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, paying for people's salaries and renting films and guests and hotels and, and various you know, paper clips. You know, whatever you need to run uh, a business. Uh, even though we're an arts group, we still have to operate uh, as a business. Yeah, we have we rely very heavily on, on sponsors and donors that help make it as possible. Um, there's been generous donors over, over time who have just bought out. Um, the entire show, uh, and just let anyone who wanted to come uh, attend. It's part of our cultural mission to give back to the community as, as much as possible. The overall you know, human community, um, for people of different sets of means, uh, to be able to to experience uh, the festival. Maybe they, it's not their day to have $15 for a ticket, but they'd love to see a show. Well, we'll, we'll do the best we can. They can't see everything, but we'll, we'll let you share our toys uh, the best we can. Once again, and to your point, you know, even if it's just 1% better every day, that's a lot of improvement by the time something goes on. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's great to see what Cinema St. Louis is doing. They're always working on something fantastic, always getting expansive, always looking for the next way to improve. Highly impressive. Once again, this is Artistic Director for Cinema St. Louis, Chris Clark. We've been talking about the 16th annual Q-Fest that's going to be going on in St. Louis, May 4th through the 10th, and that's going to be at their new home, the High Point Theater. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thanks, Dennis. And if you missed part of this interview here today or you're looking to find more, make sure to search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. Show Me Today.